I hit her. I didn't try to kill her. I hit her. I didn't mean it. I saw the photographs, boy. You bashed her face in. She didn't give me any choice. You didn't have much choice, huh? So you used me. The hell, that's what friends are for. I was in a jam. Come on, have a drink. I had a dead wife. $350,000 that doesn't belong to me. I had to get out. It's as simple as that. Simple as that. Goddamn simple. Cops had me legally dead. Augustine's got his money. He's not looking for me anymore. I got a girl that loves me. She's got more money than Sylvia and Augustine put together. What the hell? Nobody cares. Yeah. Nobody cares but me. Well, that's you, Marlo. You'll never learn. You're a born loser. Yeah. I even lost my cat. Welcome to part two of our Long Goodbye episode. But before we go into real talk, it's time for PP, our patron pitch. This is where we let our patrons know what they can expect on their exclusive patron feed. And we let our non-patrons know what they're missing out on. Uh, Alex, uh, we usually try to be cute about this and make some comment about how our guest has stepped out while we're doing this thing. Uh, I'm not even going to try to pretend that this is being recorded on the same day we recorded with Dale. Because uh, I was pretty sick when we recorded with Dale. And you can tell. So I'm pretty sure my voice in this little bit uh, is going to be different from my voice uh, on that that really awesome recording we did, <laughs> despite my health. Uh, so hopefully I sound better now. But um, this is going to be another short PP uh, because we want to talk about the live stream for The Cure. So I'm just going to hit you with the basics. The basics being, uh, if you are on the ground floor level, the, the $1 tier, the Travolties, uh, you're going to get our cutting room floor stuff, all the things that don't make it into the episodes. Uh, you're going to get this month our bonus episode, which is Southland Tales, an exciting conversation between Alex and I about the, the Rock's most off-the-beaten-path movie, I think mm-hmm. even more so than Pain and Gain. And then, of course, you're going to get part one of Lohan, the exclusive patron miniseries that follows the the rise and fall and rise again of Lindsay Lohan. Alex, <laughs> uh, what, what are we covering on part one for those who haven't listened to it yet? Yeah, I realize the original mission statement maybe made it sound like we're doing like some life story, but we're just kind of doing it through the public eye. So uh, we're covering, we talk about the beginning of her uh, career as a child actor, but the big ones we're hitting are Freaky Friday, Mean Girls, and Herbie Fully Loaded, because she followed up Mean Girls with Herbie Fully Loaded. Uh, <laughs> as you do. <laughs> as we talk about in the episode, the kind of baffling decision for that, but also talk about that Mean Girls wasn't, it, it did well for itself, but didn't quite have the impact on pop culture until you know years after the fact um but that's what we cover in the first part we'll move on to the second when the time comes next month and we'll we'll talk about that the closer we get to it but very pleased with how the first episode went uh, so be sure to check it out we go into our thoughts and feelings on the three movies that we picked for it and also uh you know Lindsay's performances and kind of where she was and what she was poised to do at that time so yeah fun stuff i'm, I'm very glad we've brought back the patron miniseries Yes, really, really cool stuff. And you get all that 
at the bare minimum. Now, if you want more, you can go up a tier to the Winonis tier and further up. You're going to get our pre-recording notes and you're going to get our QVRs or quick video reviews. This month, we're doing a dual one. Alex and I are teaming up to tackle Teen Titans Go to the Movies as requested slash demanded by mm-hmm. patron Paul Myers. Uh, Filmbusters Paul wants us to... Uh, Give DC another go, an animated form this this time. So check that out. And then, of course, Contrarians After Hours. That's the spin-off show where we tell you about other things that we're watching, that we're reading, listening to, thinking about. Alex, uh, what are you bringing to Contrarians After Hours this time? For After Hours, I will be discussing the, you know, from the patron miniseries to a Showtime miniseries, Catching Lightning, the... Showtime miniseries that's brand spanking new. I don't even know if um, all four parts have aired on television, like their initial airings. But if you have Showtime on demand, you can skip ahead and watch all four parts. That it's the story of Lightning Lee Murray, who was a one-time MMA prospect who went on to orchestrate the largest bank heist in history. I think that's a good enough teaser just to kind of leave it there and let it let it dangle out there. So I'll be talking about watching that and my thoughts on it and um, thoroughly plugging it for anyone out there who has access to it to watch. Uh, on my end, I finally finished The Last of Us. I, Hell yeah. You know, I had to I stopped halfway through uh, because I started watching it with my wife and that meant that we had to coordinate our schedules and we finally this past uh, weekend just we binged the last four episodes and uh yeah let's let's talk about it because you've uh, you've finished the show and you also you've played the game so i have questions about the adaptation and how different it is how how similar it is to the game um there's that should provide a good conversation and then as an addendum uh another show that we binged while we're just being couch potatoes uh it's this really silly really dumb reality show uh you might have heard of maybe not it's called the traders and it's hosted by nightcrawler himself alan cumming so, why not <laughs> that should be the the biggest selling point alan cumming hamming it up as the the host of a reality show where people uh have to figure out who the traders are i'll i'll elaborate on the after hours but um the bulk of mine is gonna be of course the last of us so if any of that sounds interesting check out our patron page patreon.com slash contrarian prime look at the tiers and join the contrarian supplements one dollar three dollar five dollars and ten dollars our respective tiers like julio said just one buck will get you access to our new low hand mini series and then also can go all the way back to our humble beginnings with bonus episodes on movies like blue is the warmest color and most recently southland tales and everything that falls in between and also our unbelievably comprehensive and thorough coverage of the rock and john cena's money-making professional wrestling feuds slash their respective movie careers and the more you pay the more you get to tell us what to do and you know there's a movie that isn't somehow in our catalog already we've covered a lot but obviously movies are endless find that movie find the tier throw it our way and say dance monkeys this is what you're gonna watch now (laughs) so to all of our current and existing patrons we love you all dearly and as i like to say we are always taking applications it's a quick review process and i don't know unless you're um one of the russo brothers we're gonna accept your application (laughs) uh speaking of dancing for our audience uh we will dance for you live 
well, metaphorically, uh, on the live stream for The Cure 2023. And uh, before De- depending we, on how much money they donate, I might dance for real. Yeah, I mean, you know, sometimes we get super excited, and that leads to, at the very least, a little bit of jiggling. Uh, <laughs> but here's a live stream for The Cure promo, and then we'll tell you about our show. Together, we can make a difference. That's been the sign-off for everything Livestream for the Cure related ever since the event began back in 2017. Hello everyone, my name is Nick and I am the host of the Livestream for the Cure, an annual charity event to raise money for the Cancer Research Institute for immunotherapy research for a world immune to cancer. And over the past six years, we've made that difference together. Amazing listeners, amazing viewers, amazing podcast partners and content creators all coming together, and we've raised over $70,000. But this year, we're going to make our biggest difference to date, and we're going to raise $25,000 for the Cancer Research Institute. Tune into the event at twitch.tv slash livestream for the cure starting May 18th, as we're joined again by podcast partners and content creators from around the world to help the Cancer Research Institute crush cancer together we will make a difference all right so live stream for the cure our segment is on may 20th at 4 p.m eastern standard time that is 3 p.m central time for all you texas listeners uh all our international listeners uh just go to google put in 4 p.m eastern standard time and see how that translates to your to your local time zone but that's going to be our spot We're going to do something similar to what we did last year in which we'll take four actors and uh, we'll have the audience throw movies from those actors' filmographies at us and right there on the spot, we'll come up with a a little mini contrarian treatment based on the Rotten Tomato score. So just like a a tiny taste of what we would do on the show if we were to do a full episode. The actors are TBD. We'll probably have them all set in stone by the time that we do our next episode. Uh, Mm -hmm. But... Be ready because it's it's a lot of fun. And this year, uh, we're adding the Josh Gad Minute to the mix. So that means that in addition to giving you the contrarian treatment, we're also going to do uh, this this little feature that we do on our Facebook videos, on our YouTube videos, the warm-ups, uh, where we just replace one of the characters in the movie with Josh Gad. We just cast Josh Gad uh, into this, this new version of the movie because the world needs more Josh Gad. And Alex, here, I'm throwing this at you. Uh, uh, and you can you can ruminate on it until our next recording. We could also add one other feature, something that I think we do fairly often. It comes up and it's always a lot of fun uh, when it does uh, on a, on the main episodes. And that is, we could come up with the whatever movie is thrown at us. We could come up with what the the Criterion art would be and who would write the foreword for the Criterion <laughs> release. Uh, yeah, let me. Ruminate on that because there is room for like it. That could be great, but that's also something that I could easily kill a lot of time with. So I'm gonna have to think about it. <laughs> All right. If any of you have thoughts out there, let us know. But mark your calendars May 20th, 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. That's when the contrarians are gonna be on the live stream for the cure. At the very least, show up, say hi, say hey, you guys are doing great. If you can donate to the cost, that's great. Because, you know, we all hate cancer and we want uh, cancer to to be defeated, eradicated for good. 
And you don't have to limit your attendance to just our segment. You can stick around for the entirety of the live stream. Then all three days, uh, there's going to be a lot of podcasts there just doing their best to raise money for cancer research. So check out the website, livestreamforthecure.com. Reach out to Nick or to us if you have any questions. And uh, hopefully we'll see you there. All right. And with all that being said, I think it's time that we welcome Dale back in and drop some real talk on the long goodbye. Well, I'm going to tell you something. I have absolutely nothing to hide either, but I'm not going to take my clothes off. I want you to get naked so you can tell me the truth about my money. You want to take your clothes off? Would you like me to take off my clothes? It's okay with me. Why, it's a pleasure. As a matter of fact, everybody, Harry, everybody take off your clothes. Marty, I don't want to take off my clothes. I have too many scars. I understand. Go on inside, Peppy. Go on inside and take care of the telephone. Well, here we are on the other side of of the long goodbye. The longest goodbye ever. Uh, This is an interesting one. Alex, uh, we've recounted our, our tumultuous brief relationship with the noir genre. And of course, Dale has told us about his his relationship to it as well. So there's, there's going to be a lot of uh, interesting conversation here. How, how are we starting this? Do you want to just get the quotes out of the way or do you want to... Uh, you want to set the stage somehow i don't know what's on your mind alex because we haven't talked about this movie at all yeah i think the quotes are the the way to go i'd go ahead and see uh, i think you mentioned that there were only two negative reviews on rotten tomatoes uh so yeah who who dare question the the good name of elliot gould all right we're gonna start with a uh, variety staff from variety who says an uneven mixture of insider satire on the gum show gum show film genre gratuitous brutality and sledgehammer whimsy it's a lot of big words gum show dale is that right is that what you call it it should be gum shoe yeah gum shoe that's like an old you know noir name for a detective yeah okay variety get an editor what the hell <laughs> it's like I knew something didn't sound right, but anyway, uh, yeah. He actually meant gun show in relation to Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> yeah, there you yeah go. That, that gun show at the end. Uh, gratuitous brutality. Uh, I mean, that Coke bottle. That's might be one of the most memorable scenes in here. Where do you guys land on, on that? Too much brutality, just the right amount of brutality, not brutal enough. I mean, that scene lingers. That's like the most unsettling part about it, but. Um... I, I think that is the like yeah. I mean, and then there's one like gunshot at the end. Um, I I I like that scene. I think that like it is a bit of a goofy movie, and you're like, what am I supposed to do with this information? And when you get to that scene, it's like, oh okay, yeah, we are going to be taking some you know s- some parts of this seriously. Um, and you, there's no other way to take that from that because it is uh yeah, that's a the dialogue surrounding it, and then the actual violence is like. Jeez. Yeah, there's no way of, of mistaking it by a comedy at that point. <laughs> this right. Is, <laughs> this yeah, is serious. Exactly. Um, next, John Simon from Squire Magazine says, There may be one or two more farcical elements here than is customary, but for a real send-up, you would have needed Woody Allen rather than Gould, who is all wooden. Uh, oh, jeez. What a terrible movie. <laughs> <laughs> Woody <laughs> Allen as Philip Marlowe. That's, that's, oh, that's too God. much. Yeah. I don't. I don't know how you how you pitch that with, you know, in a way that's even somewhat like that, that holds together. There is there no. is a movie, isn't it? Uh, I don't think it's directed by Woody Allen, but where he plays, uh, doesn't he have like the ghost of Bogart like advising him on how to? Is that the one where, 
like the silver screen um, people keep coming off the screen and and talking to him and like oh no no, no. that's a uh, purple rose of Cairo like the that's one where they, right yeah that's no right. but there's one I think it's called played against Sam and uh, obviously Bogart is not in it but there's somebody playing Bogart like the yeah the ghost of Bogart uh, advising him on how to win like the the woman that he's in love with but this that's not the long goodbye like that is <laughs> right right <laughs> I don't even think it's a murder mystery um all right. I pulled a couple of things from Letterbox, Alex, just because, uh, you know, just to see how how regular people reacted to the long goodbye. <laughs> and I, I looked at some ne- for some negative ones. So, uh, Hollywood movie gave it one and a half stars, and said this movie starts out good with a pretty killer grocery store scene, but then begins to nosedive once you realize all the characters are talking very quietly about something you don't really understand or care about. <laughs> Even if you turn up the volume all the way up. All that does is make all the dog and cat sounds more annoying. There's a beach party at some point in the middle of the film, and that's when I would recommend falling asleep. I love that, like, he thought that the movie was really taking off during the, like, wandering cat <laughs> scene. He's like, eh, it just gets, like, I love that cat scene. I was really setting the stage. I was really invested in that cat, and then the rest of the movie, you know, yeah, downhill. I, I think he really liked it when uh, when the, the guy that works at the grocery store, he tells him, I don't have a cat, I have a girlfriend. Yeah, like, and then Sick he mumbles, bird. yeah, he's, he's got a girlfriend, I got a cat, ha ha. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then one more, Benny Booger gives it also one and a half stars and says, other than the novel as a basis, I don't know why they portrayed Marlowe as they did. Updating 1940s LA to the early 1970s, Elliot Gould plays the iconic Marlowe as a sarcastic, contrary, chain-smoking loser who is preoccupied the whole time with his missing cat. The entire film felt like it had more in common with Pynchon's novel Inherent Vice than with anything Chandler wrote, and not just for the characterization of the strange, iconoclastic private investigator. The looping storyline involving a missing man, the psychiatric institution, all of it was an obvious foundation for what Doc Sportello would eventually encounter. Also, baby Arnold Schwarzenegger. Before you ask, yes, he does take off his shirt. That whole review makes me want to watch the movie. <laughs> to be honest, <laughs> one and a half. I like it. Is this point is like this is not as good as Inherent Vice? Uh, Alex, you haven't you haven't watched Inherent Vice yet, right? No, I, it's one. I own it. It's on the shelf. It's just it's you know it's almost three hours, and I got to work myself up to it because also it's one of those movies that I've heard such wildly divisive things about. I've talked to some people that fucking hate it, and some people that are like, yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah, I, I I was not a fan, but I can see how you can, you know, like the character Ella Gould plays here, and the character the Hooking Phoenix plays in Heron Vice. Yeah, they're both just like we were saying with uh, Andrew Garfield in Under the Silver Lake and uh, uh, Jeff Bridges in The Big Lebowski. It's that type of detective. It's not the put together detective, but the detective that's a mess and yeah. just kind of wanders in and out of these weird situations. Uh, you have seen her advice, right, Dale? You told me that you had seen it. And you yeah, were not a fan. I've seen it. Yeah, yeah. I wasn't a huge fan either. I like. Yeah. If I'm if I'm gonna watch sort of a more of a bumbling spoof of noir, I'll just rewatch the Big Lebowski like for the eighty seventh time because <laughs> um, I love that movie. But yeah, I didn't. Yeah, I didn't. It's not bad. I don't think it's just you know I did like it's a vibe movie and I just didn't vibe with it. Um, I think this the long goodbye is a vibe movie too. Like. You know, if you don't catch that vibe um, early on and enjoy it, then you're probably not along for the rest of the ride either. Yeah. <laughs> uh, at least it's not as long as as uh, Inherent Vice. But there, I I had forgotten. But he's he's right. Like a a big plot point in the Inherent Vice is that isn't there a facility that uh, Hugging Phoenix has to break into 
Kind of like what the yeah. Elder Gould does. It's in been this a movie. minute, and it, like it, the, the plot involves real estate somehow, doesn't it? Like, uh, like yeah, he there is a facility he has to play break into, and he's very bad at it, but he ends up you know, doing it. Yeah, he sort of just bumbles into a lot of the the things, which is yeah, similar to Elliot Gould's character a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I'll be curious, Alex, uh, when you finally watch it, like if you go, well, Gould did it better, or if uh, if you think that PTA beat Altman and uh, this. Uh, noir game or neo-noir game weren't you worried i mean uh waiting a week before you call somebody to find your husband what's you implying mr marlow well i don't mean to be tactless mrs wade but it doesn't look like you walked into a door now before uh we go into everything else alex i think that usually you know here we would just read the quote of the person that requested the movie but we have dale here so dale give us your history with the long goodbye why you picked it in, in you don't have to score it yet, but just tell us how, how you feel about it. Um, the long goodbye was one that, so like I said, I really loved movies and, and a lot of pop culture at an early age, but I just didn't get an opportunity to consume any of it. Um, and like during college, I was sort of just playing catch up with whatever was, you know, on TV that I, you know, could watch in movies coming out. And so it wasn't until I got, that job at the newspaper where I was the arts and entertainment editor was sort of my job to start uh, watching movies and, and uh, paying more attention to pop culture. And that was like the early Netflix when they were still sending the stuff out by mail, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. I had a television, but it wasn't hooked up to cable and the internet wasn't as, you know, prolific then I didn't even have like internet in my apartment at that time. Um, and so I would just, Netflix, I don't know if their formula used to be better, but it used to be a lot easier for like you could pick out cult things like weird cult stuff and they would just keep suggesting it to you. Mm-hmm. And that's where I just found like I and I, I didn't have much of a history. So that's where I found like everything from, uh, you know, N- Night of the Living Dead to, you know, Evil Dead to Santa Sangre to like, you know, just a bunch of weird uh, off stuff and some of it I liked and some of it I didn't, but like I was, you know, starting to build that, like, not like, like that film nerd knowledge where I could start having conversations with other people about it. And somewhere along that there is when the long goodbye, it was just, it was this sort of cult classic. Um, one of those things where nobody liked it when it came out and then it, you know, it got a huge following later on. And I obviously had, uh, you know, a lot of history of watching the older noir movies. And when it came on, um, and, and from the first cat scene, I was just on board. I just like, <laughs> it was just that whole like tone of the movie was so surprising. I wasn't expecting it. And it was so le- less self-serious than the, the, than traditional noir was in an interesting and, and uh, cool way. And, um, I thought Elliot Gould was like just a, such a weird choice for a leading man. And I, and I really liked him. And so, yeah, I've been a fan of it ever since um, that one. And it's one that I feel you can just sort of put on over and over and like sort of watch it out of the corner while you're cleaning up the apartment or whatever and notice different things each time that like, you know, the movie plays. Um, I, I don't even think I understood the plot of it until like watching it like four or five times, like <laughs> that whole part where like uh, Terry Lennox puts on the gloves to cover up the, like, you know, he did it from like the first 
you know, 15 minutes of the movie when he puts on those gloves to cover up his bloody knuckles. That's like, that is pretty much you, you can derive from that, that he uh, killed his wife, you know, from those early, you know, times. Uh, but like, it's so sort of the tone of the movie is so like weird and sort of the mumbling thing and everybody talking over each other that like major pop points are sort of hidden um, in interesting ways throughout it. I, I mentioned that you were, uh, that, you have a cat in your book, and yeah. uh, when I was when I started watching the Long Goodbye, and there's like the, the opening sequence is all about the cat, and then the cat disappears, and then we never find out what happened to the cat. I had to go back to the Mean Reds and be like, "Yeah, that was one of the big things." I was like, "I'm gonna try not to ask Dale, but I'm gonna, but now I'm going to." I was like, "Is the cat okay in the Mean Reds?" <laughs> I think the cat is in the book is okay. Like it's, it is definitely up to the reader to find out, uh, to, you can interpret the, you know, uh, the cat's health, um, however you like in the book. But I think the cat, like the cat probably in this movie loses interest in its owner and goes to find somebody <laughs> to better take care of it is my guess of what happens. Okay. That's yeah. sad, but it's still a better outcome, I guess, at the cat not being okay. Uh, were you, <laughs> was that something that you had in your mind? Do you have your mind the long goodbye when you were writing the, the cat stuff in your book or? No, I have a cat and I like cats and um, I was just more of writing, you know, like my, like my personal stuff into it. And then later on, um, you know, I, it was probably in there somewhere subconsciously, but later on I realized like, oh, this is, which is why the first chapter of the book is titled The Long Goodbye is because like, oh yeah, like that's, uh, you know, that cat scene <laughs> that I love so much. And, but I, yeah, I didn't really realize it until later. Um, the yeah. cat's a tremendous animal actor. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. Hitting like all steals the, the scene, steals the show. There's also a lot of like just cat and dog stuff in this movie. You know what I mean? Like that just the 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 Wades have dogs that keep attacking Marlowe. You know, the dog comes out of the the suicide scene with the cane. There's the dogs that you can't look away from in Mexico that are humping each other. So there, like, there's a weird stuff with animals throughout the movie that I like find entertaining and interesting as well. Yep, yep. Uh, well, Alex, tell me about your experience with uh, with Long Goodbye because I maybe hearing you talk about it will help me process my my thoughts about the about the movie. Uh, yeah, I watched it early. It was on uh, Paramount Plus. I was still kind of waking up when I turned it on, and I think that's kind of a cool way to watch this movie because it really it feels like it's a waking process for the first like you know the whole first act feels kind of like. Uh, maybe like a dream, a waking dream or something like that. And, uh, you know, noir is not my specialty. I don't, it's not like I avoid noir. It's just, it's one of those genres where a lot of times I don't know where to begin. It's like, uh, our buddy John Keating, I was talking about, uh, night in the city with him when I saw him in LA, we were just talking about movies and that one came up and that's just an example of like a noir that I purchased through the Criterion sale that I had only ever heard of because there's a pro wrestling tie into it. And so like that, I was like, Oh, I'll check this out. And then like under the silver lakes, a great example. I had never fucking heard of that movie. And then, you know, it was put on our desk and I love it. I immediately bought it. It's just a genre of movie that, um, I feel that when I watch it, like it's weird. I don't feel that I'm necessarily qualified to critique noirs the same way i am say 
you know, uh, a solid drama or, you know, even an action movie or something like that. So when I watch it, like my, the analytical lens that I wear is a little bit different and disconnected is the wrong word, but I more just try to piece it all together than kind of analyze it, the parts of it. When we talk about movies a lot, we talk about the performances, the cinematography, the score, all that shit. In this, it, it just kind of all washed over me. And um, <laughs> not unlike uh, Wade, Roger Wade. And I found myself enjoying it. It did It did kind of drag a little bit towards the end. But aside from when I momentarily was reading something about the movie and lost the flow of the scene and I looked up and all those guys had their clothes off uh, at no point was I like what the fuck is going on in this movie Um, I'm not going to say it's easy to piece together you definitely have to stay with it and one of the things movies like this ask of the audience that not everyone can do is you have to be patient and trust that it will all come together in the end Uh, whereas like a lot of movies especially today will just like spoon feed you every single scene and say here it is here it is here it is and when you watch something like this yeah halfway through it I was like I have no idea who's the bad guy who i'm supposed to be cheering for anything like this but i need to trust that you know this is supposed to be a good noir film so that in the end this will all come together in a way that like makes sense to me it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be satisfying um i did however find the ending satisfying i was like yes shoot him kill him he, he doesn't he deserves it i do think the idea of the the killing and you know shooting and looking like a badass in the end is definitely like a um is something of the time like that style, like the way the movies were being made then, and you know what we deem as the antihero, the dirty Harry, you know whatever cliche you want to use. But I think it works in the context of this because this is like a greasy, sweaty, gross movie. You know, of course, the guy who we followed the whole time is going to do something that we don't know if we agree with or support one hundred percent in the end. I feel uh, that it fits this movie and the Philip Marlowe that's presented and the way Elliot Gould plays him in this. It's I, I didn't feel it was a betrayal of the character. So in conclusion here of my thesis of this, um, I would really like to watch this again because I did enjoy the movie. And like I said, because of my limited experience in the noir genre, I interpret them differently. And I think if I did watch it again, I'd be able to kind of fixate more on the really strong parts of it that I do enjoy. But man, yeah, I'd, I thought this was a blast. You made a deal with Terry Lennox. Big deal. Terry Lennox was my friend. He asked me to give him a lift. I gave him a lift. I wish I hadn't. Your friend was a criminal. Your friend was a murderer. He murdered his wife. That's a lie. I know he didn't kill and, her. He couldn't I'll tell you something else. It's a minor crime. A minor crime, a misdemeanor to kill your wife. The major crime is he stole my money. Your friend stole my money. Yeah, I think that, I think a lot of people are a little bit um, either, uh, the noir is hard for them to get into and they don't know where to start. I mean, it's a lot like with a lot of things. I, I think one thing to keep in mind um, is that noir traditionally doesn't work like the modern thriller. You see like, you know, the sort of the James Patterson things where there's like a very specific mystery involved and there's all these little like little hints and checks along the way that all add up like clockwork to like some perfectly arranged machine or something like that that uh, and noir is even like that's one of the reasons why i like this movie as well is it captures the mood of the book the chandler raymond chandler and um the like the uh, dashiell hammett and those early noir writers the mystery was almost 
it like I won't say entirely beside the point, but it was almost a red herring in and of itself where it was like, you know, you have this mystery, so you have this central conflict, but then really the the joy that you get, the enjoyment that you get is like meeting all these weird characters along the way and like all these fun descriptions of like fashion and these like, uh, you know, this cool quippy dialogue and, and things like that. And so I think the movies that capture that the best are the ones that are not as concerned with like, okay, we got to drop these you know, hints that the audience can build, you know, you know, type of thing, um, the way more modern thrillers are constructed. And they're just like, it's a, you know, it's a vibe that you latch on to and you're along for the ride and you're, you know, you're enjoying that ride for sort of what it is along the way. And, it, you know, I mean, that doesn't mean that you have to enjoy it, but that's, those are the, a lot of the movies that I like and a lot of the books I like are, are a lot like that, where it's that voice and that character um, that you sort of latch on to. And certainly, like, I mean, I want I want an entertaining plot too, but you know, it doesn't have to work all out like perfectly, like a, you know, like a Hitchcock, you know, mystery mm -hmm. or something like that. Yeah, I think uh uh Alex was saying that you kind of have to have faith that it's all gonna come together at the end. But I was like totally or that at least that you're not going to care if it comes together at the end because that's that was that's my experience i think that uh, uh, you know to various degrees when i'm watching mm -hmm. one of these movies uh, i can't entirely turn off the, the the part of my brain that's trying to piece it together as we go along but i know and i make an effort to try to not worry about following the plot that much because i know that i know that sometimes it's just impossible i'm pretty sure i mentioned that alex when we were talking about uh, uh when i talked to you about big sleep uh, over on patreon but it was a uh, just the relief I had when I was done with the movie and then I started looking through reviews and realized that, oh yeah, it's not just me that I was having trouble following the plot. That's The Big Sleep is well known for having a plot that's very, very complex and really hard to follow. And so I think that that sometimes can be the, the barrier when it comes to, to a noir, whether it's like the classic noir or the, the newer ones that now I've just kind of learned that I have to go in and... A little bit like what you were saying, Dale, the the mood, the vibe has to grab me to where it's very easy for me to let go of following the plot and I can just enjoy yeah. hanging out with these characters and then trust that when I get to the end, it's going to be satisfying regardless of whether I can tell you exactly how we got from point A to B to C to D. Yeah. And what I like about this movie is there are all of the, like it is, I think the way that it's filmed makes it more confusing uh, and intentionally so of like but the, all the all the clues are there and it's not like they're hidden behind little things it's just that they're like there's so many other things that we're noticing and and we're and we're watching throughout the movie that like I said like I I you know put it, like him putting on the gloves at the 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 beginning of it is this huge clue that you could really sort of almost solve the entire film from but like it's and it's right there it's happening like directly in front of the camera in a in a scene there but also like you know it's easy to miss it i didn't like i didn't notice it like the first uh, few times that i saw as as i like i knew he put on some gloves but i i i thought it was like for fingerprints or something like that i i hadn't <laughs> noticed that it was such you know it like that was such an obvious thing of like oh yeah well like why would his knuckles be bloody if, if yeah he's not he uh, uh 
I took him at his word, I guess, because yeah. Elliot Gould was taking him at his word, and so I just, right I because just he, yeah because they have this friendship and they have this like quirky friendship that like and you you just think of Elliot Gould as that guy who you call up in the middle of the night if you need that you know whatever favor and like he he doesn't he doesn't ask any questions he just does it for you you know that type of thing yeah uh, this was a lot easier to follow though than I feared because again just. After having watched The Big Sleep, I was getting ready to yeah. just go through another sort of plot where I was going to have to be taking notes. And uh, but no, this was uh, this it just carries you. And I think that the fact that Elliot Gould's performance, he's playing uh, Marlo in such a chill way, I think that takes some of the edge off because he doesn't care that much. So of course I don't have to care that much. <laughs> you know, he's just <laughs> right. kind of waltzing through. Three separate mysteries there. Uh, I guess it, the, the Big Lebowski has a little bit of that too, where the dude is just so laid back about everything that's happening that it it takes the pressure off, and you're like, oh, right, well, <laughs> we'll just see what happens in the next scene. But I don't have to remember everything that's yeah, going there's, on. There's several parts where just like the like I th- at that one point they I think at the police station they or when they're the police come to they ask him if he's employed. Uh, which is something that specifically is asked in the dude. He's like, are you employed? You don't go out looking for a job looking like that dude on a weekday. <laughs> and the dude's like, is is this a weekday? <laughs> so yeah, there are like sp- very specific things where I, I, I think that's the linchpin between yeah, uh, between uh, um, modern stuff. And um, and I, I understand why the early reviews and, and even the reviews that say this movie is sort of all over the place – and like it can't decide where it, whether it's parody or like a serious thing. I think that's all intentional. And for me, it works. Um, I think that it is both, um, deconstructing sort of the machismo of, uh, of like classic noir movies with like, especially with that when they're all getting naked at the end, like all that you have a room full of just naked guys for no reason. Um, and like this, the, the, the Hemingway type guy who ends up being impotent and gets slapped around by the like tiny little, uh, psychologist, you know, doctor, all these ways, I think, um, and, and there are other problematic things. We talked about the violence towards women in this movie that just sort of goes, you know, more with the cliche of, uh, uh, of some of these things. So it's, it's not a complete, like it doesn't succeed in all of those things, but I, I think that it is an interesting, like it, it does it interesting and not in an artsy way that's annoying. It's still fun to watch. Mm-hmm. Alex, how, how are you feeling about Elliot Gould as, as leading man? Go ahead and just mention here, Philip Marlowe is a fictional character created by Raymond Chandler, who is characterized of the hard-boiled crime fiction genre. Looks like his first appearance in a short story was in the 20s? Yeah. And then Marlowe first appeared under the name in The Big Sleep, uh, published in 1939. So um, not when I was kind of reading about this before I watched the movie, my mind immediately went to like Matt Helm, James Bond. Definitely not that more of like, you know, the grizzled detective. Mm -hmm. Um, So anyway, to the question of Elliot Gould, one of the most cringe things you can see in a bad movie is someone who's trying to act cool and aloof and just kind of, you know, devil may care. And they're like, I'm thinking immediately of uh, Billy Baldwin and Sliver. Is that, <laughs> yeah, it's, that's Billy, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> yes. Yeah. 
I think that's okay. William. (laughs) So William, I'm sorry. And introducing William Baldwin. So that is like skin crawling, even more so than someone trying to be funny and not funny, or even sometimes more than someone trying to do like a big dramatic monologue. And it just like tank is someone trying to be cool and you're watching it. And not only do you not believe it, but you just, you're like, Oh God, this is so bad. You know, it gets to the point where you're watching through your fingers type of thing. Elliot Gould is so cool in this, like effortlessly. (laughs) I know, you know, the way he smokes, the way he lights his cigarettes, the way he, you know, will uh, even like do things like dress or hold his jacket. And that's part of it. Part of being believably cool is that every single thing you do, every facet of movement and every little detail of just action is nailed down. And that's the thing. Everything he does in this looks like something that character would do and to me like the payoff is and i referenced this in the first half is that when the augustine finds the five thousand dollar bill and it's like this is kind of (laughs) like this is where he's cooked like you know he (laughs) finds this and this is he's done now uh fortunately you know fate works out but he asks him what is this he's like a picture of james madison i was just like that's so cool um so I think Elliot Gould is great in this. I totally understand why Elliot Gould never necessarily took off as like a leading man uh, because this kind of performance or the things he's good at are not, um, you know, Brad Pitt can appeal to everybody. He's he does have like a sharp edge to him. Um, Not that Brad can't, but you know, I'm just, I was blanking on any, who's a Tom Hanks, the, you know, the Tom Cruise, that type of leading man. I can understand why he never got to that point, but for something like this, Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. For something like this though, I think he's excellent. And you know, not to harp on that opening. um, I think that eased me into the movie and I was just kind of down for whatever was going to happen. That whole sequence with like the cat waking him up, him going to the supermarket, the whole thing of him putting it in the other jar or the can (laughs) to try to trick the cat and it didn't work. And, you know, all throughout that, he's like talking to himself and, you know, lighting up a cigarette and uh, it's, um, when he tries to make the cat food, who makes a cat, like who thinks that like a cat is going to like, what is it like uh, oh, eggs? eggs? He scrambles and, up some eggs and, and he puts some Morton salt on it. <laughs> yeah. like, Here you go, <laughs> girls. Did you see my cat? I didn't even know you had a cat, Mr. Marlowe. Oh, you, 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 you wanted a No, no, you don't look fat. Well, I think it's weird though that, that uh, because yes, you're right. He's cool, but he is not cool the way that. Bogart played him, and I know you, you you haven't seen him, Alex, but but kind of like what I said in Contrast Corner, you can probably picture what a Bogart Philip Marlowe looks like, and it's not at all what uh, what Elliot Gould is doing here, but it still works, and I agree that there's a coolness that they that that Marlowe has. Uh, I, I agree, it's kind of fascinating that you can have him play cool in two separate decades, you know, in a very different way, because the, the Marlowe from Big Sleep, he's he's more together, you know, he's not. You don't get the feeling that that he accidentally solves the mysteries. <laughs> he's very laser focused in where he goes. He's very quippy. He's he's very like quick on his feet. Every now and then the tables will turn and he gets caught unaware. But for the most part, you are pretty sure that this guy is going to come out on top no matter what. Whereas when you're watching Elliot Gould, it's almost like by accident he finds these clues and he runs into it. And 
but but they're both like it's two different versions of cool, right? Because I agree, I, I hadn't really thought about it until you said it, Alex. But he is cool in this movie. Like by when I was writing my notes, I was like, man, this guy is such a loser. He just can't get his shit together. But but the reason that I'm following him all the way to the end is because it's it's just so funny and so cool to see him not let anything get to him. You know, there's a couple moments where he just gets shaken, but then he comes back and he's like, whatever, I'm just gonna smoke another cigarette and move on to the next set piece. <laughs> It's interesting because it's like, you know, referencing the Coens and to me, um, you know, Lewin Davis, this is who Lewin thinks he is, but he's actually an asshole. And obviously that, that's that's one of the things that that movie is captivating nice. for different reasons. But like back to what we're talking about here with a long goodbye to go down our other usual stats. We did mention in the first half released on March 7th of 1973 budget of one point seven million with a box office return of less than one million. Back to uh, uh, Dale's point about didn't set the world on fire upon release. Um, Robert Altman, Lee Brackett, based on the long goodbye by Raymond Chandler. And so, you know, the discussion we've had so far, Dale had read this. Now, the Eileen character in the source material, is she a bit more flushed out? uh, Because no fault of necessarily Nina Van Pollant. Uh, Yeah. She... I wouldn't say she's weak. I'd just say she doesn't have really too much to do in it. Now, yeah, I, I, don't, I won't say any Chandler novel where a female character has too much to do in it, to be honest with you. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I would say, if anything, she's more flushed out here. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. Um, yeah. Female characters were not like generally given full like you know allowed to be full people in uh, in most of those novels if the femme fatale thing is like you know uh you know at the most that they were devious and that made them somewhat interesting they have two settings seductive and hysterical that's all (laughs) yes correct all right so that explains that uh the funniest little imdb trivia fact that i found it was cracking me up was so the date of judgment day in the terminator world at least the first and second one is august 29th of 1997 uh elliot gould's birthday is august 29th so i thought that was coming back coming back around there so it was actually like um i mean we're all i I, this is a safe space i'm assuming we're all uh nerds here so uh i'll admit that when when i uh when when you know when i found out we were like you guys agreed to do the movie i you know went back and watched some some interviews and did some stuff, um, uh, you know, just to, to get my nerd research together. And um, I get Elliot Gould's career was like at a low when this uh, came out. He had he had had like a big start to his career and some Oscar nominations for his first couple of, of movies. Uh, never won one, but he then he went. He was one of the first American actors to go uh, make a movie with Igmar Bergman. Um, really, you know, and then. Yeah. Um, I can't remember what it's called, but it was, uh, you can look that up. And when he came back, he was just, he was just, you know, kind of full of himself as he, and he was decided he was going to direct a movie. Um, but apparently he was terrible at it and he got that, you know, sort of label that you get of somebody difficult to work with. And oh, so no. nobody wanted to hire him when Altman finally, uh, uh, called him up for this and, you know, sort of, uh, you know, brought him back into uh, the fold again. But he said he'd been out of, yeah, he'd been out of work for like over a year and, and um, couldn't seem to find anything before he finally got this one. Looks like it was The Touch with uh, yeah. the film. That's wild. So this was, uh, I, 
you know, when we did the player, I remember walking away from the players thinking, I need to watch more Altman movies. And then, of course, here we are years later, and I've watched maybe one other one. Because um, I've seen the player, I've seen, uh, what's this last one? The last one that's uh, about a radio station, uh, Prairie Home Companion. And uh, I've owned the Criterion for Shortcuts for at least five years, and I still haven't watched it. Uh, Gosford Park, I've seen it, uh, but not a whole lot. So I'm not at the point of my Altman uh, knowledge to where I can tell you, oh, and this is this is so Altman, or this is so unlike Altman, uh, other than it being kind of a, having a sprawling cast. But even then, like this one feels very mostly focused on Elliot Gould. You know, it's like Marlowe, and then yes, there's a lot of characters, but the, it's not an ensemble piece. It's just him walking through. Uh, so I guess it's a little bit more like the player in that sense. But but I'm not. Are you are you familiar with Altman? Like with his filmography more more than I am. Not where I've consciously like gone to uh, more than that for sure. Like I've I've seen maybe half of his stuff, um, but not where I've consciously gone to watch Altman in any kind of. And he, I I like him as a director too. He did, and he's one that sort of just broke into it on his own. His first uh, film was like um, a a gang movie back when you know those were sort of the cool thing to do. Um, that he funded himself and uh, filmed, I, I want to say like Chicago or something, but uh, uh, that caught the attention of uh, studios. And then, you know, so he's just, I think, one of those like talents that was able to like break into the industry from the outside, which is very rare. Um, but I also think that made him kind of like skeptical of the industry as well. I, and a lot of his movies are, um, I do think that he's taken jabs at Hollywood um, in this movie for sure and having fun with that and, and, and uh, poking fun at a lot of Hollywood cliches and lifestyles and stuff. Um, what did you guys think of the camera work? Because the camera just moves all the time in this movie. Yeah, I was. that was one of the things I read about that I found fascinating. It's not... And to our listeners who haven't seen this, it's not bullshit like born camera style moving. It's uh, <laughs> the camera's on a dolly, the entirety of it. And from what I read, Altman wanted the camera to constantly be in some state of motion to make it seem more voyeuristic for the audience. Yeah. And that that's awesome. Yeah, almost like the camera is its own character, like and like so that you get to be sort of a voyeur character in there. Yeah. I, I like how it fits with just the uh... Yeah, the MO of uh, Philip Marlowe as as played by by Gould, where he's just kind of on the move, but in a very chill way. Because you're right, it's not the, the camera doesn't jolt you. Like the way that this movie is shot is not to with the exception of when uh when Joanne gets hit by the Coke bottle. You know, even when, when Marlowe gets run over, it's not <laughs> this big uh uh moment that that uh, shocks you you know it's right. a, for the most mm-hmm. part it's, it's just as chill like the camera movement is as chill as Marlowe uh, Elliot Gould's version of Marlowe it's all of a piece and I, I enjoy that a lot when he gets hit by the car it's you would almost feel it's an out of place gag when it shows that dude in the hospital bed that's completely bandaged uh-huh. head to toe and then it's like oh wait no that's not him and cuts over but just due to like the mood the the vibe as we keep saying of the movie yeah it kind of pays off and it's it you're like oh shit and then you just start <laughs> laughing when it shows elliot gould waking up and then gould does that mumbling thing where he kind of gives you like 
an exposition on things that have happening and he's like eh, waking up and they're saying after like but like the way that it's done you don't f- you don't feel like it's I, I don't know it just doesn't like it it feels fine yeah. you know it's not like um like you were saying somebody like explaining the plot to you which he kind of is but like also you're like yeah it's so fun <laughs> the way yeah that's it. that's i think his performance is the thing that at, at least for me it it's the thing that carried me through the movie and so i didn't mind when whenever did the plot hit a snag or whenever it, it felt like, oh, yeah, all he's doing is just telling me, explaining to me what's happening. Because that's kind of a cheat, right? By the time he, every time that they explain yeah. the things that he's either figured out or that he should have figured out, it's it's just him telling us. But because he's just such a, a fun character to follow that I didn't mind. Blew his brains out in a little godforsaken town in Mexico. He left a full confession. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm reading it. You don't got to describe it to me, too. Now... The thing where I'll I'll criticize the movie, or I'll, at least what I've identified as my problem with it, because I was I told you Alex at the beginning of this, I said I want to hear you talk because I, I had a pretty good idea that Dale really liked this movie, and uh, I wanted to know how you felt, Alex, because I know that after watching it one and a half times, I liked it a lot, but I was there was something that wasn't quite working for me, and I think that what it is is that. A little bit like what we said at the end of Contrarian's Corner. I, I'm not sure where we arrive when it comes to the Marlowe character at the very end. I, I'm with you. I'm glad that he killed Lennox. <laughs> that guy is a piece of shit. Uh, but I think that if he kills Lennox and then he kind of like throws the gun to the side and he just sits down and you know lets it soak, he soaks it in, and then we cut the credits. That I'm pretty sure where we are there. I'm like, oh, okay, you know, it, it, the joke I made. It was like, oh, <laughs> the whole idea behind this movie was to break down Philip Marlowe and just mm-hmm. uh, have him be uh, catch up to the times at the, at the end of the movie. And we're like, yep, I, I was too nice to everybody. But what the movie does is he kills Lennox and then he has this triumphant walk away and then he dances. <laughs> yeah. So. Is are you telling me that he actually doesn't give a shit? Like he doesn't really care that much? Because if that's the case, then I don't know that it was it was a very entertaining ride. But I don't I don't think that that's uh, I don't know what to make of that ending. I guess that's, that's my thing. Dale, what do you make of the ending? Alex, what do you make of the ending? I think I mean I think what you're saying makes absolute sense, and I'm not entirely sure what to make of it. Um, I think that once again, it's maybe more of a mood or a tone thing. If they had ended it the way you're talking about, which does make sense to me, actually, that like he kills him and he just sort of sits down and is like, you know, like how did we all come come to this place? You know, that makes sense to me. But like the mood of the the entire movie is not that mood. Yes. Uh, for me, I had a Holy Motors moment of just like, of course, that's the ending. <laughs> like, that's that's yeah, that's how it ends. So I didn't find myself being too bothered by it. Uh, I was more concerned he was going to choke on that tiny harmonica. But uh, <laughs> now all jesting aside, I kind of like the the mask of the phantasm moment where he just kind of looks at her like, you know what you did. And she <laughs> speeds away while he walks away to you know a, a complete uncertainty and um yeah I, I if i wanted to read further into it i could figure something out but 
when it was over, it's just like, that's how the movie ends. And that works for me. So that's, that was kind of where I stood. I also think like, yeah, Marlo is um, like, his conscience is clear. He is um, very straightforward and pretty honest for whatever else it is. Like even when he's talking to the cops and the gang, the, the criminals that are trying to get him, he always just tells them the truth. You know what I mean? Like yeah. when they ask him, like, what did you do with Terry Lennox? He's like, I drove him to the thing and I did all this. And then I went and did this and, and I tried to give my cat food. Like he, like he always is pretty straightforward about it. And like in, in the end, his actions were straightforward too. He's like, you did this. It was a horrible thing. And my actions, my actions are, you know, appropriate for this. And you know, now I like, I'm fine. I'm going to go back and, and uh, go to my apartment and, and look at naked hippie chicks and uh, I'll be cool. <laughs> <laughs> I think now, now I have an, a new one. I think maybe Oldman is telling us that we underestimate the goofball at our own peril. Oh, I like that. Yeah. I like that. Because Oldman's kind of a goofball you know? too, a little bit in, in some of his movies. But then he gets, yeah, acerbic when he needs to be. And he just, he shoots Lennox and then he goes back, you know, it, it bothered him for a little bit, but then he goes back to being the, the same Philip Marlowe that he was at the beginning of yeah. the movie. And, well, and uh, um, I think Alex mentioned this too. Uh, like, if you think about the times that this was being created, this was like, you know, the, the sort of the hippie thing was uh, the alternative, uh, you know, lifestyle, um, Ken Kesey and the Merry Pranksters and all that stuff was going on. And so you know, Marlowe kind of like fits into that as the anti-hero, you know, of an era where that you could get behind. Yeah, he's a, uh, he's not the system. He's against the man and then he prevails at the end. So, all right. As uh, as Buffalo Springfield said, there's something happening here. And what, is, <laughs> what, what that's one of the best jokes in um, Walk Hard is it's from this time period and Dewey says to his wife, he's like, there's something happening here and what it is ain't exactly evident. <laughs> <laughs> well, to, uh, to take it back, actually, Alex, to, to just to make it clear that I, I enjoyed this movie and it's yes. like, I am not sure what to make of the ending. I enjoy like trying to figure it out and taking it back to our last episode. Uh, where I had some quibbles with the way that Writers of Justice ended as well. When it comes down to it, it's like, I ultimately don't care because I had such a good time. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's it's a good time. I, I really liked it. I'm, I'm with you, Alex. I'm going to add it to my Criterion collection. Now, are you ready to rate this thing? Uh, I am. I was going to go with a B plus, but I think I'm going to go with... Um... After this discussion and me realizing more of how much I liked it, I think an A minus. There are some Ooh. things in it that not you can't cut anything out of this and it be the same movie that it is. There's I can say there's things that don't work for me that push it over the top to being you know what I consider like a a top grade film. But um, yeah, the runtime, you know, I'm always a stickler for that. And while maybe I started to feel it a little bit, it was just because everything was tying itself up and then. It's, you know, what we love. Climax, roll the credits. Shoots the guy, get out of the theater. Like, that. that's that's what I need in my movie. So, uh, I will go with an A-. minus When I log it on Letterboxd, we'll probably go with a four and a half. Um, so, we'll, uh, we'll do a contrarian sandwich here. Uh, Dale, you know, I do letter grades. Julio does star ratings. We've had people on here before that 
you know, have their own system. So whatever means you would like to rate this movie, just let us know what scale you're grading on and uh, what you give it. Just watching it objectively, I would say um, B plus as far as a movie, but as like a movie that I love. Um, yeah, it's a solid A. Like um, there's, there's movies that I rank higher than this um, as like better movies, but I, I don't watch them over and over again mm-hmm. and, and enjoy them. So um, yeah, this you, like, I, I agree. There are some faults with this movie, but um, the faults, the entire thing of it is so fun that uh, yeah, it's, there's a lot to, that I forgive. Uh, I'm, my brain is going down a rabbit hole right now of possible interpretations <laughs> for that ending. Cause now I'm thinking, you know, hooray for Hollywood. And so is he uh, kind of like what you were saying, you know, is he criticizing, uh, the way that Hollywood was selling stories and the way that we, back in the 40s, uh, whenever, you know, Bogart played Marlowe and we were perfectly okay with him shooting a bunch of people in that movie. <laughs> and then in this right. movie, he shoots one guy and I'm having an existential crisis over it. So I, I don't know. I, I think that there's definitely, this is not a case of me projecting, I don't think, on the movie. I think that uh, the movie has a lot that you can dig out if if you want to, or you can just watch it and chill with Elliot Gould over it. So I'm I'm really I really liked it. I'm gonna give it four stars with the potential to go even higher after I watch it more times and I maybe feel comfortable landing on one possible interpretation of of what happens at the end. But it's uh yeah, it's really good. I I really enjoyed it. Definitely enjoyed it more than I did The Big Sleep, and uh, uh it's it's one that I would recommend because it's a uh, I don't think it's too difficult to follow. And I think that it's such a delightful showcase of uh, a type of performance from Elliot Gould that you normally don't see, or at least people like like you and I, Alex, like we're not familiar with that. So it's just really cool to see him do something else and do it so well. Agreed. So now before we get out of here, our guest, Dale, hit him with it. Where can they find you? What can they find from you? Where do you want them to go? Just anything and everything you have to plug, go for How it. How do you find the Mean Reds? Um, you uh, you can um, – there. it's on Amazon, uh, easiest place to order it. Um, but if you're uh, uh, averse to Amazon, and I completely understand that, um, you can just go to my website, which is dalebridges.org, and there's uh, you can order it directly from the publisher. Um, you can order it from Walmart. I don't know why that exists but but they you can order it through there so um yeah if and if you do order it i it hugely helps especially when you're publishing small press books like this where they don't we don't get a big marketing publishing campaign and um you know you can't get the attention of new york times book reviewers so if you could um you know uh rate it and uh, on amazon and or goodreads um and you know uh, a star rating and say, I liked it. I thought it was okay. Those are perfectly fine ratings. It doesn't have to be like some sort of, um, you know, award-winning uh, critical review. Uh, just the rating itself helps uh, get it a little bit more attention and, and get it maybe on the eyes of some uh, new people. Um, and then if you are also interested in um, art, uh, I'm also a painter and you can go to um, dalebridgesart.com. And uh, I will be there as well if you're interested in looking at those. Well, I strongly recommend Dale's book. I think that anybody who enjoys this show would definitely enjoy the book. Uh, And if you enjoy, on top of that, movies like The Long Goodbye or uh, any other noir, then you get an extra kick out of it because of all the 
all the layers of noir that are sprinkled throughout uh, throughout the book. But yeah, uh, big recommendation. Uh, every time I brought it up, I've done that. And uh, you promised, Dale, your next book is going to include some sort of wrestling subplot so that Alex can, right. can hook into it. Yeah. Yeah, it's going to be strange because it's, you know, started off as a romance, but now that I have to put a wrestling subplot in there. So, but you know, we'll we'll work it in. Good. Good. Hey man, just night in the city where part of it is uh, <laughs> they still thought wrestling was real and the guy is getting hunted for fixing wrestling matches. But uh and also just to kind of like offer a, a personal testimony, don't knock ordering from walmart.com. Uh, like if you go over $30, they have free shipping. And I was ordering some movies off there that were only available at Walmart. And it was like, you know, $27. And I was like, well, I got to find something to order. And they sold through the website, a 48 pack of chili lime ramen for five bucks <laughs> that put me over the edge. And then <laughs> this gigantic box showed up at my door and I opened it and it's just 48 pouches of ramen that lasted us like six months. <laughs> so you can get ramen at the mean reds, and then you have your weekend planned. That's oh that's, man, that's a whole weekend. Bo- bowl of ramen with a good book. Yeah, that, there you go. I just also wanted to say thank you guys for letting me come on. I um, am a fan of the podcast, I'm a, a, a subscriber, and I've been recommended to other people. Um, it like I'm really um, excited and honored to be invited to come on and and. I talk about it with you guys. It, it, you guys are a lot of fun um, and not in uh, a way a lot, like some podcasts with movies can get a little bit, I don't know, too up their own ass. And you guys are just, you guys, have, you know, I enjoy, like I listen to uh, podcasts of movies that you guys are talking about that I haven't even watched uh, yet just because the conversation is fun. So, well, well we appreciate that's it. Really we, nice. the, yeah, Julio, that's that we got to make the t-shirt the, the proper <laughs> level of up our ass like or something like that. We're not we're not too up our own ass, but yeah, uh no, thank you for being on. It's um it's always um a bit of a daunting task when we have guests on, but this went really well and it was a movie that was obviously new to us and uh very exciting to do. So, um Julio, I think we did the long goodbye justice. So, if Elliot Gould, if you're listening in your palatial palace somewhere, we hope we did you good. <laughs> we love you, Elliot. <laughs> yes, we do. We do. At least in this movie. Uh, yeah, right. yeah. Well, Alex, uh, are you curious about what happens next in our contrarian's journey? Yes, you've been facilitating the patron messages as far as what we're doing, so it's kind of always news to me. So what's going? What's going down, oh, buddy? I hope that you've cleared the weekend because. <laughs> Patron, oh, Ch- Patron Chess Fisher uh, <laughs> wants us to do Jurassic World Dominion, which is a 29% oh. rotten. Now, I am ahead of you because I've watched Jurassic World and then Jurassic World, whatever the second one was called. So I only need to watch this one. But I don't know. What are you going to do, Alex? Are you going to jump into this third installment of the uh, of the new Jurassic World just, just called? Or are you going to watch the previous two movies in order to know what's going on? I don't uh, the one that the cover of it was um Chris Pratt writing which what was the one that like the first one that made so much more money than was expected That's Jurassic World. Okay, that was given to me as a Christmas gift by a family member. They're like you like movies and so I have that. <laughs> so I'll watch that one. Okay. Um this movie is two and a half hours long. <laughs> they needed every minute of that, Alex. Every, like they Jesus. could not have cut out five minutes of <laughs> of exposition. It's absolutely all needed. I made a billion dollars, so I'm the asshole. But uh, 
All right. Well, let's let's do it. I mean, I love the original Jurassic Park, played the Jurassic Park game for Genesis religiously as a kid, so uh I can convince myself into giving good discussion about this. Sounds good. Well, that's that's up in the near future. Uh, get us out of here, Alex. All right. So we'll close it out with our perennial plugs. Start off by giving thanks to the festive years who provide our opening and closing tracks. Kick us off with Last Stand. Take us home with Summer of 99. Be sure to head over to thefestiveyears.com for any and all festive years needs. Our friend and fellow podcaster Hans Rodgieser is the man behind our logo. All the graphics on our webpage, our Patreon page, our merch page. That's him. Well, that's not him. That's the tomato that he uh, that he drew for us. <laughs> Hans is also a novelist. He's written a, a bunch of fantasy novels. Uh, I don't think he's ever dabbled in noir, but he, he leans more towards the, the fantasy genre, as I said. And he has two podcasts, Nación Combi, which is about Peruvian current affairs, and Marginal, which is about economy. If you want to check out his work, go to mildemonios.pe. That's M-I-L-D-M-O-N-I-O-S dot P-E. Or you can reach him on Twitter, at Mildemonios. Or you can email him, mildemonios at hotmail.com. Hans, thank you for all your support. And as has become tradition, we give thanks and love to our friends at Late Night Grin. LateNightGrin.com at LateNightGrin on Twitter. You can find uh, all their information there. All your needs in the world of professional wrestling podcasting. They are so gracious as to include me once a month on a show called Grin Grappler. Uh, Just last night recorded an episode uh, reviewing the life and times and the career of the one and only Rowdy Roddy Piper. I made sure to say that aside from Dwayne Johnson, he probably has the biggest feather in his cap of any pro wrestler that crossed over into movies in the sense that he starred in a fucking John Carpenter movie. So, you know, take of that what you will. Uh, Hogan, if you're listening to this, uh, don't don't sue us, brother. But uh, Joe, Oracle, Rob, Matt, and everyone else over at Late Night Grin, nothing but love. Appreciate what y'all do for the wrestling community that I am now attempting to withdraw from. But we'll always look forward to partaking in y'all's shows. And we also want to give all of our love and appreciation to our social media team. It's a team of two, but they do the work of a fucking army. Uh, Zoe Perez and Corey Ari. Uh, Corey recently put together some fantastic videos for Alien Day. Uh, and just the curating they do of our social media game does not go unrecognized or unappreciated. So you can check out their work, be it on Instagram at contrarian prime, facebook.com slash contrarian prime, youtube.com slash at contrarian prime. And we'll even link off from our Twitter account, which you can find in the bumper. Corey, Zoe, we really appreciate the work that you do for us. And we appreciate our wonderful guest here today and the listening public that continues to support and tune in. Uh, but that's going to do it for this episode of The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong, and we will catch you next time. Say goodbye, Dale. Goodbye, Dale. A long goodbye. Zing! <laughs> <laughs>